Hi, this is Joseph Arthur. Thanks for checking out Come to Where I'm From. Please support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash come to where I'm from. We are an independent podcast, and any contributions you can make are greatly appreciated. How's it going? Andrea Gibson. <laughs> it's going good. How are you? I'm good. I just took a nap. Did you really? Yeah, I you... fell asleep on the couch over there. It's a good place. There's lots of sun. Did yoga. You did yoga in your nap? No, before, mm. and then I and then came came here. It leaves you in a sleepy place, yoga. Yeah, it did this time. Yeah. What kind of yoga do you do? Hot yoga, moto. I go. Do you do that? No, but my uh, partner teaches hot yoga. Oh, really? Yeah. And you don't do it still. You know, I get panicky in uh, rooms with other people. <laughs> yeah, I was just listening to your poem about panic attacks. Yeah, I actually, the last time I did yoga, I had a panic attack in the yoga room. And then also with yeah. the heat, it, it just, I feel like an elephant is sitting on top of me. Yeah. Are you coming from New Orleans? I mean, I know you don't live there now, but is that where you grew up? Or I, it says you lived there for a time. Yeah, I think that's because the woman I was dating when I lived in New Orleans wrote my bio for oh, me. So she did that. Yeah, I grew up. <laughs> <laughs> I grew up in uh, Northern Maine, a, a really oh. working class little town in the woods in Northern Maine, and then um, I moved to I moved to New Orleans after college. Oh, okay, how long were you in New Orleans for? About a year and a half. Oh, okay. Yeah, not long. Not long. So it's odd that it factors in to the bio. A little. Yeah, it is. I think it's because I moved from there to Colorado where I started poetry. That's where you started writing? You didn't never started before? Or did you write when you were a kid? I did write when I was a kid and I, I wrote through school, um, but I never got on a mic to read. I had too much stage fright. And so Colorado was the first place I ever read a poem on a microphone. Oh, right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Where in New Orleans did you live? I lived in Lakeview at the time. It was, it was a lot different. We lived in her uh, grandparents' house. Well, they had passed away at that point, but they had this little tiny house. And it was one of the places sort of uh, most wiped out by Katrina. So all those houses are gone now and, and big uh, ones built in, the pla in, in their place. What year was that? We were there around uh, 99. 99. Yeah. Yeah, I, I spent a lot of time there early 2000s. What were you doing there? Making a record, making records. Oh, yeah. yeah. Good place to do that. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Great. Uh, d totally different energy than any place else. It doesn't feel like the U.S. at all. No. It feels like you just go there to live, you know? Um, yeah. People, um, I don't know, everywhere else I've, I've lived, everybody is uh, living in the future somehow, and it seems like people are present yeah without meditating right <laughs> yeah it's not a huge namaste culture you know it wasn't at least when i was there for sure right uh, that's another funny line in your panic poem oh about yeah not tattooing namaste under the right windpipe or something like that yeah i don't remember you don't remember <laughs> no, no. I, I think i wrote that poem in a panic do you often have panic attacks or is that uh, an anomaly <laughs> that would be so sweet if it was um no you know i've had well i just recently learned the difference between anxiety attacks and panic attacks so i'd had anxiety attacks throughout my life but it was a full out uh full throttle panic attack started about three years ago for me right um and they were just got so debilitating i couldn't do anything at all and then uh, i had sort of a a transformative experience about a year ago I could tell you about it if you want. Ayahuasca? No, it wasn't ayahuasca, actually. Um, I, I was too afraid to do ayahuasca for years because of my anxiety. I, I thought that I would just lose my mind. Um, right. uh, but what I did is I was actually listening to Eckhart Tolle a lot during oh, yeah. uh, the panic attacks. Like, really, it was Eckhart and I about eight hours a day just trying to survive. And I got really into the idea of uh, saying yes to anything that would come up that would be hard. So this one panic attack I had, I just uh, welcomed it as much as I could. I just kept saying yes to it. It was almost like it turned inside out. And I, uh, it's hard to explain really, but from the middle of the terror, 
I suddenly entered this like state of bliss and it lasted for about six weeks. I never felt anything like it. I still get them, but I know um, it's not the same anymore ever since that experience. So just accepting it totally. Not even accepting. Inviting yes, accept, it. accepting it. Yeah, but almost uh, to the extreme level of, of welcoming. Right. Yeah. And what... Uh, what what do you think causes the panic attacks? Have you discussed it with your th- therapist? <laughs> yeah, um, it's hard. It's hard to say. Um, a combo of of things. I have um, chronic Lyme disease, so that causes a lot of the anxiety and depression in my body. But it also is trauma and stuff. Just a lot of things colliding, and then um, yeah. Right. Yeah, Have I you l- ever had a panic attack? I don't think so. No. no. I guess I would know if I had. It's like an orgasm. So there's no, you know, there's not no middle yeah, ground. You, you just know if you've had one. Yeah. It's just like <laughs> you think you're dying, basically. You really do. It's it, I, I, The only way I can think to describe it is it wouldn't be a different sensation in my body than if I were on a plane and the plane was going down. It's the exact same thing, except nothing actually terrifying is happening right. or, or life-threatening. Yeah, I like Eckhart Tolle because he like teaches you to sort of just pay attention to awareness. Yeah. Or like you know the awareness of awareness. Yeah, I, I love him. The, I call him moment. my boyfriend. Oh yeah. 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 All yeah. my friends know him as my boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever met him? I haven't. No. No. I don't meet any of my boyfriends. Have you ever thought about writing? <laughs> You don't meet any of them? Once you meet them, they stop being Those, your boyfriend? Yeah, yeah, Those yeah, are the yeah, best yeah. kinds of boyfriends. <laughs> they really are. <laughs> um, did you ever think about writing a book of poetry that was sort of uh, designed to help people like in that same wavelength as Eckhart Tolle, like enlightened sort of uh, advice poetry? Like New, uh, new Age um, uh, Spoken Word, which basically there's virtually none of that, I, I don't think, out there. So I, I could start a, a new genre of that for sure. No, I've not thought about, um, you know, actually one of my best friends, and I guess it has already been done, but one of my best friends is a poet named Buddy Wakefield, and, and he, wa- he actually writes a lot about Eckhart Tolle. Oh, he actually writes he specifically writes about Eckhart? His teachings and the idea of, of, of presence and um, just being being with whatever is coming up. Yeah. Yeah. Do you practice any kind of like spiritual practice? Like you said you don't do the yoga or anything like that, but do you like meditate or like do things along those lines? Yeah, all of those things. So I, I, I actually do do yoga. I just don't do it in rooms with other people. Oh, right. Yeah. Um yeah constantly it's it's sort of a survival technique for me yeah yeah and being on the road you have to you have to (laughs) you lose your mind how do you prepare for your shows um you know i do a lot of just uh presencing and i do i you know i guess other people would call it prayer um yeah presencing is what you call it presencing and then uh also i mean i guess people would call it prayer but i i connect with um uh higher spirits and and you know my ancestors and stuff like that constantly throughout the day um i i probably pray 15 50 times a day yeah i pray a lot too maybe not that much but i ask people that question all the time if they pray and have a hard time understanding how people don't pray yeah not because of any sort of moral superiority of i pray or something but more just the opposite in a way like it's such a i need that security blanket yeah to know that you're you're not alone and that you know even connecting uh with the you know the brightest highest version of yourself these folks are they're going they're praying over there they are praying with some margaritas (laughs) a little bit <laughs> oh my god we've never yeah this is, so it's the first time for everything it's the first time for everything yeah what uh what did your folks do about praying no just like i'm trying to figure out like how you were like uh how you came to be who you are like mm. my dad uh was a mailman and mm-hmm. my mom a uh, secretary and a, a bank teller 
right. and um yeah they it, you know as a really working class uh family they um they just you know they had a, a sweet little um <laughs> sweet uh, little life, life. yeah and yeah they had brothers and sisters tons so oh, many really? so many yeah giant how family how we took up almost the whole town you did yeah i'm lucky i didn't marry somebody i'm related to you, you know probably so did. <laughs> <laughs> i'm not married so i know i didn't okay spiritually <laughs> yeah what uh how many brothers and sisters i got one sister oh I yeah. thought you said tons. Oh no, tons on my parents. So like, so uh, uh, you know, like you know, hundreds of cousins and uncles uh, and all I of that. See. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But not my family. Just me and my sister. Yeah. And she was a mistake. Oh, your sister was. Yeah. Do you get on with her? Yeah, I do. But we're ten years apart, so it was sort of like I had a more parental relationship with her. Oh, she's young. She was little, yeah. and so I never had an opportunity to not love her the way most siblings uh, go. You know, right? You know, none of that sort of angst. I I had a lover from the very beginning. Right. It wasn't the competitive thing. No, and we had nothing in common. So that's cool. Yeah. And um, how are they? Are they still together, your folks? They are. Yeah. Are they proud of all the books and stuff you've written and what you're what you're doing and achieving with your life? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think so. It's been a it's been a growing process for my um, for my whole family. You know, it was a really conservative family, I so see. Uh, it was really difficult. For example, for me to come out years ago, right. and um, it was a real challenge for my family at first. You know, uh, there was nobody. Uh, my family had never heard of queer. You know, it just wasn't in their world. They knew of Ellen DeGeneres, <laughs> right. but there was. And uh, not much uh, more. Um, so it's sort of been a, a family a learning process. And it's actually been really sweet to uh, watch the process of, of their growing and changing and, and learning along with me. Like how? What's been sweet about it? Like what's the sweet side of it? Uh, you know. The uh, willingness to adapt. Yeah. I mean, you know, when I came out, it was a. Um, it was a hard time. I was going to a Catholic university and uh, nobody in my whole school was, I don't even want to say they weren't out. They weren't, there was no, there were no queer people there. Um, it was a very conservative school. Like, uh, teachers were monks and nuns and, um, yeah. And, um, and that transition time was really hard. Uh, we weren't talking much. And then, um, yeah, this last holiday was, one of the most special of my life because my partner came home with me and they were just really welcoming to her really uh tender and that that took some time that's amazing so that just happened the first time the first uh holiday with your partner and your folks and everything that holiday just happened yeah there were years prior to that where it was getting easier and easier but this last one felt like the first real like here we all are as a family and doing this thing. yeah yeah that's great yeah congratulations yeah it was really nice yeah um so you got you went through a period of estrangement from them though for a while um just where we couldn't really uh talk without uh disagreeing and just oh, our, okay. our hearts sort of closed off to each other um and uh yeah yeah that's tough it was i've gone through similar i've gone through things like that with my family of origin yeah, I think that um, many people have, you know, yeah. uh, for for lots of different reasons. And um, it's one of my favorite things to see in life is uh, watching uh, folks change for the better in the direction of opening your heart further. I've I've had just as much learning to do as my parents have. And um, and so my route has been different. But I you know, I was. I had as much to learn as, as them. In what, in what way? I mean, every way, you know, just how, um, how I interact with people, um, you know, um, prioritizing uh, kindness, open-heartedness. There was a lot of my life I, I think that um, I was actually shut down, almost like there was a wall in front of my heart and um, just a lot of therapy, trying to figure out how to, how to tear that wall down. Yeah. Was it hard to find a therapist? No. 
<laughs> I lived in I, I live in Boulder, Colorado. There's nobody there who isn't a therapist. <laughs> right, uh, <laughs> but it's hard to find a good one, though, isn't it? My therapist is amazing. You got a good one. Yeah, she's so good. I've I've been seeing her for so many years, um, and you know, I was posting about it actually on social media last year, and and somebody made a comment saying, "If you've been seeing a therapist for 14 years, that's a bad therapist." And I'm, you know, you just don't know how messed up I am. I'd be dead if I wasn't seeing her. And she's just amazing because um, she incorporates all this other stuff that I'm interested in, like, um, you know, being with my body and, and breath and yeah. Prana, pranayana breathing type of stuff? or No, not that kind of breathing. Just regular basic breathing. And focusing on it? Yeah, and just being with it and not running, following the story in my head, you know. Uh, she talks a lot about the in unarguable i can never say the word unarguable <laughs> inarguable yeah inarguable truth yeah and so speaking from that place being with the inarguable truth yeah and what is that well what, what say is the inarguable truth okay so for example if you just said something i thought was cruddy instead of saying you're you know you're a jerk or you just said something that was stupid I would say, wow, when you say that, I, I feel like my, uh, my, my brain is going to explode. My face is turning bright red, and I want to storm out of this room right now. Have that, I said anything like that so far? No, not yet. Okay, good. Not I yet. Really I, hope I, was, <laughs> I, was I hope I don't. <laughs> I'm trying not to. You probably won't. You've come right from yoga, you know? Yeah, but that doesn't mean anything. I need yoga the way you need therapy. <laughs> I mean, that's just getting me at ground zero. Yeah, yeah, no, no I, get I, that. I started a deficit, you know, and then I crawl and claw just to get to ground zero. No, I think that's like, most of heroically. us, heroically. Know? <laughs> but the key is knowing, like, uh, knowing that that you know that I do know it, that. it's everything. It's all about getting your state of mind into an adequate place. Yeah, I find. Yeah, and no, no time is better where that's more obvious than when you're on the road, I think. That's Because true. you have to present yourself tonight again. Mm -hmm. Do you, uh, how, how does that feel like to you? Are you like psyched about it? Are you comfortable? Do you get nervous? Like a lot of times before a show, I'll think like, how can I do that again? I can't do it again. Uh, I don't know that I, I, I think that I can't do it. I know that I've never met anybody in my all my years of touring that, I feel like it has more stage fright than me. I've never had. Oh, really? Yeah, I've seen so many uh, natural performers. My partner actually does the same thing that I do. And um, and she just thrives. Like, it's her whole being just wants to be up there. Um, to, um, uh, I'm more introverted and, and shy. It's not natural for me to be on stage. But it's... Um, Whether it's but poetry it, or music, it doesn't matter. You still have the same stage fright. Yeah. Yeah, I get I, I get uh, really scared. Uh, but I heard once, I don't even, I, it might have been Obama, actually. Somebody said the amount of nerves you have for a situation mm. is equal to the amount of respect you have for it. So I, when the butterflies are going crazy in my stomach, I just, I tell myself they respect butterflies. And it's, yeah, something like that. Right. How long is your tour right now that you're on? Uh, we're down the East Coast for a couple more weeks, and but then we head out to uh, the West Coast in April, and then we we go overseas in uh, May. That's cool. Yeah. And how often are you on the road? So much. So much. Yeah, like, all the time. I can't believe how many books you have and merch and yeah, stuff. Yeah, that, that merch scene is intense. It's wild, huh? <laughs> yeah. I've just been writing for so long, and they won't let me just bring my most recent book, so we no. just bring it all. It's bring obnoxious. It all. The last tour we had a U-Haul just to lug, <laughs> just to lug, <laughs> lug the all the books, which I loved because U-Haul is, you know, y'all might not know, but so gay. U-Haul, I feel like U-Haul should sponsor me. It's like the <laughs> gayest <laughs> thing in the world. Why are they gay? Do you not know this? No, no. I didn't know. To are you explain. serious? I thought U-Haul was mob run. That's what I know about U-Haul. Oh, really? Yeah, it's, it's the all gay mob. mafia. Yeah, I guess so. Wow. I didn't know yeah. it was gay. Wow. No, U-Haul is gay. It's the joke. Um, so it's like, uh, you know, queer women, especially you, you date for, um, you know, six or seven days and then you get a U-Haul and move into each other's houses. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> is that how that goes? That's, that's how it's gone for me so far. Right. Yeah. How long have you been with your partner now? Four years. So that worked out. Yeah. Yeah, it did. I moved her right in and she stayed. 
and you guys hit the road together and everything <laughs> yeah, like that yeah she's on the road with me a lot does she open up for you or she does some shows and then uh for this one she's doing a couple pieces with me but then she also does her own tours and stuff so what's your writing schedule like do you do that on a daily basis or is it when inspiration comes is it in the morning do you do morning pages any of that kind of <laughs> stuff like yeah, so I, I can never ride on the road. It's really sad because um, whenever I go on tour, I know nothing's going to not, nothing's gonna come out of me. Um, but at home, I, I write, I wake up, and some days I'll, I'll, I'll be writing for 10 hours straight. Um, it's just as long as I stay inspired to do it. But it's, yeah, so many hours, mostly because I write so slow and... Sometimes I'll just sit there and argue with one line for three hours. Oh, really? So yeah. it's not like a flow state thing? It's more just like line by line or sometimes it's flow state or what? So I, I do most of my writing out loud, uh, pacing around the room. And um, But then when I get land on something that, that feels right, uh, I'll debate its perfection for hours. Oh, okay. So you're writing for the vehicle of performance in a way. Yeah, I always write to hear something out loud. Like how it lives out loud is is most important to me. So I'll I'll put a word in that might not be as beautiful on the page if I think it's going to sound better out loud. That's interesting. Who are your favorite uh, poets? My favorite poet died recently, uh, Mary, Mary Oliver, um, mm -hmm. was <clears throat> the first poet I, I really fell in love with on my own outside of school of people telling me, you know, who to love. Mm -hmm. um, but I love a, a lot of uh, spoken word artists, actually, like people. Uh, Maya Angelou actually said that a half uh, uh, an unspoken poem is a half written poem. I love hearing um, poets out loud, like the words live out loud. So. A lot of my favorite poets I could go forever. Um, want me to name some? Yeah. Yeah. One of my favorite poets is a poet named Ciara Freeman. Another one is Denez Smith. Um, yeah, I just mentioned Buddy Wakefield earlier. Uh, there's just so many. Um, I'll just say those three for now. What do you look for? What what strikes you about a poem? What, what, what makes you... Um rate a poem or what moves you about a poem what do you think the ingredients are i think uh, mostly for me is if it if it just uh I, I if it feels unimpressive um but it reaches me emotionally if it, it feels uh ordinary and is something that anyone could think oh i could write that and it just touches me um, so nothing fancy, just uh, things that I know would hit uh, me, my sister, my mom, <laughs> like in the same way, you know, a construction work. Yeah, yeah. And unimpressive. So if it doesn't seem like it's trying too hard, I guess. Yeah, it just when something, my favorite art is when something sounds familiar, but you've never heard it before. You right. know, it feels familiar. Yeah. Is it is your stuff fictional or or like because I was listening to you reading uh, Proof of Life I think it was Living Proof Living Proof is that a true story I mean that moved me like it was intense so that's r really interesting that you say that because I have such uh yeah so all of it everything I write about is uh, mostly my my life's experience and that story in uh is um. I don't like the way it was written because I feel like it resonates uh, uh, like it could be a metaphor and it isn't. It a actually no, I, happened. I thought it was... And I always have to give that disclaimer when I read, the, uh, read it. Uh, I know that it's going to sound to people completely unbelievable, but it actually happened. I could tell you the story about what the poem is about if, if you want to. Yeah, or could you read it? Oh, no, I don't have it memorized right uh. now because this show that I'm doing is an entirely different one. But essentially... Um, uh, it's, you know, it was the low, one of the lowest days of my life. And, um, I've struggled with, um, mental health, mental illness, suicidality throughout my life. And, um, it has per been particularly active when I'm uh, sick. So I said I have uh, chronic Lyme disease. Right. And whenever 
I go through long periods of time where my health is really, really awful. I just get to this place of, I struggle to not get to this place of absolute hopelessness. So that day I was rock bottom and ready to go. And I knew where I was going and my life was going to be done. And I was driving down a road in Colorado. And uh, as I was driving to this, where I was going. Where were you going? Oh, it's, I, you know what? I don't like to give the details of that because I don't want to put ideas in people's minds. But, oh, um, I see what you're saying. But the, uh, I looked up from the steering wheel and there was a man on the uh, outs uh, of the, um, shoot, what is it called? Bridge overpass. Yeah, overpass. And he was about he was about to jump, and I was the last car to pass right before all the fire trucks and and you know emergency vehicles got there to try to talk him down, and it was, you know, it was uh, just so surreal. I pulled over. I'm on the back of the overpass for a half an hour, not being able to see what was, uh, you know, if if he was still you know gonna jump but they were all there looking up and um and it was this half hour of my life where i i was just this is never if this man doesn't jump like my, this is not going to be part of my future anymore and he didn't he came down at i think it was exactly like twelve thirty-one, or um and yeah by that point i had called my friend my friends were there and um yeah it was really it shook me um, to feel somebody else feeling the same thing at and the same time and how, how badly I wanted this dude to live, you know, and and then uh, trippy to want somebody to live and then uh, while well, not wanting to live and all of that. So the piece is about that. But it, it resonates like a metaphor because it it's so serendipitous that it feels almost unbelievable. Right. I thought it was a true story. That's why I asked. And yeah, it is. Delivery. It didn't seem like there were any metaphors in there. Yeah, I know. It just, it just so seemed intense. so. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was. It was, and it was also uh, beautiful. I think about him all. I mean, almost every day. I don't. I don't know who he was. They they did some stuff later on. I read about it in the news, but you know, his name wasn't there or anything. So. Do you think that was like divine intervention? Or? Yeah, I, I always think, you know, I think serendipity is almost always God or whatever yeah. that means, like, you know, speaking. And um, I felt that for sure. That's intense. And then how come you decided, well, if he doesn't jump, this is not going to be a part of my life anymore. What was it that turned that key permanently in that situation? It was just an agreement you made, maybe? Or? I I don't know if I even have language for it. Um, I just, you know, I've, I've been comforted a lot by the idea that, uh, you know, we're all connected, that other people feel this too. The idea that whatever you're feeling, somebody else feels right. too. Um, but I had always known it conceptually, and I never uh, fully understood it so viscerally, mm -hmm. my own experience and um, my own body and... Um, yeah, there was just this new knowing and a new aliveness and a new tenderness with, I guess, the whole human experience. And, mm. um, yeah, I just, I didn't feel alone and I felt like he was going to keep going and, um, and I hope he has and, and me too. That's what I love about 12 step rooms is, um, I mean, regardless of like people have issues with that or whatever but it's the same thing whereas like people are expressing their difficulties in the process of living yeah and everybody is yeah and that's like the spirit comes into the room with that i mean you know because that kind of transparency and and uh vulnerability around your own human experience is is just welcoming to so much light you know it's almost like uh my therapist says that shame can't live in the uh can't live in the light it can yeah. only live in the darkness and, and so the shame is the closest thing to death like yeah i heard you say in another interview yeah so um yeah yeah no keep going with that though i didn't mean to cut you off with the shame thing 
Yeah. No, I just think that it's something, and that's one of the things, you know, social media and, and everything I think is almost creating a culture of, uh, of being what we're not. You know, there's this plasticness in a lot of it, I, I think, about um, trying to show, you know, everything in this uh, perfection. And, and I even catch myself doing it too. Well, you can't help it. You're, you don't want to show people like you crying on a couch. It's yeah. like, because then the reaction is like, oh no, are you okay? And you don't want that, you know? Yeah. So it's like, in a way, it's set up to make us accentuate the positive vibes of our life more. You know? I mean, maybe that's good in some ways. Like the idea that, uh, you know, um, the only thing. I'm quoting my therapist all through this uh, thing, but you she do said, that a lot. I do, I do, and in the you show that therapist. I'm doing, my gosh, I talk about it as a joke throughout the show, and it's funny that it's so she naturally coming discount. out right yeah. now. Yeah, yeah, she definitely needs to give you a discount. But the only thing that we have control over in our lives is where we put our attention. So maybe, right. it, maybe it does help that social media is actually helping us be like, oh, and look at this, you know, mm. if we're really feeling into it. But I think in in places it just becomes refreshing to people to be places where you can be honest about the darkness and uh, what is just the <laughs> what feels so consistently impossible in our lives and and everybody is living through things that feel impossible to live through and we're living through them and and we're not you know we're not sometimes yeah sometimes we're not how healing do you think poetry has been for you the process of writing what you've written and all that well you know i shake so much when i do it um i heard this thing so many years ago that animals in the wild when they uh escape a predator uh, they will actually stand in one place and shake for 10 or 15 minutes to uh get rid of the trauma the of the chase or the adrenaline maybe. yeah and but it's also they don't they don't carry they don't carry that fear story a a afterwards. Um, mm -hmm. And humans, we've evolved out of that. Um, evolved, uh, if that's that doesn't sound like the right word. Uh, but we've evolved out of uh, being able to actually do that. Sometimes you can do it. Um, but sometimes when I take the stage and I'm shaking like that, I, I, I think of that animal thing. And I'm like, I'm shaking off this, you know, whatever trauma of the culture, trauma of my life. But... For me, just being able to get up and and speak the truth of my experience, I, I find really healing. And I also find it really healing being in the room witnessing somebody else doing it. Yeah, and how many times, how gratifying is it when people come up to you and say that you've helped them through your work? Mm. Um, you know, it just feels, uh, how gratifying is it? Um, it? It always just makes my heart turn to mush and um and it it feels like a real communal experience like this uh, performing in this venue is actually really sweet because a lot of the shows are in you know bigger rooms where everybody's standing up and don't they mm -hmm. they can't really settle into this whole tour is in small seated venues and it feels almost like how it's supposed to be like intimate and i can see everybody's face um uh, and that's what I love about spoken word. It's a conversation. It always feels like a conversation to me. And um, I'm getting so much from from people, and um, and they're they're giving so much. And uh, yeah, just just feels like community. How close is it? Do you think to stand up comedy? <laughs> I mean, sometimes not at all. <laughs> sometimes it's just uh, so heavy. Uh, and sometimes it's close. You know, I, I, this show uh, that I've been doing lately, um, I keep shocking myself with how freaking funny I am. I'm right. just hilarious. Well, that's and what I mean, because you gotta cry, you got to work with the crowd. You do. And then you, I'm sure a lot of improvisation comes up and crowd work, so to speak. Yeah, and that's the best part of the show. Yeah. You know, the parts that aren't memorized and just being with what's happening right then, you know? Yeah. But yeah. stand-up, I mean, I think stand-up comedians are probably better than me at being heckled or something sometimes right. sometimes i'm good at that and sometimes i just stand there and stare do you get heckled at spoken words mm. uh no not very often i mean sometimes it's a more aggressive than 
a subject that somebody disagrees you on? know like i've had political a, stuff maybe somebody shouts out uh, yeah sometimes i mean sometimes i mean i've had a, a dude run down the center aisle of the show and screaming faggot um you really? know that sort of stuff so that's not even heckling that's, that's just, just like that's just hate yeah that's just meanie that's, meanie that's, just pants. <laughs> that's literally just like psychotic at least hate. he bought yeah. a ticket you know yeah. at least you got uh, some at money least he for bought it a yeah. <laughs> no i, mean, I know that was really somebody that probably oh set out God. to do that and bought the ticket and was like i'm gonna do that and that's the only reason they were there you, you know i never even considered that i so love knowing least, a ticket least, was bought at least the ticket was bought you know Pay me to holler mean things at me. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's worth it. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, it isn't. No. But you are very political, so I'm assuming there are some people who come to your shows know what to expect, kind of, or sometimes you find that people like walk out in the middle. Uh, sometimes they do. You know, I used to get invited to a lot of, um, you know, Catholic universities and stuff. People have walked out of those kind of <laughs> shows at Catholic universities uh, sometimes because of my humor. Why would they invite you to a Catholic university if they were going to be offended? Or Really? I know. Yeah. Or did they not know what you were about? I think, you know, maybe they just didn't listen to everything. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got uh, one time I had a contract for a, a show at a Catholic university and there was a clause at the bottom that said Andrea will agree to say nothing during the performance that disagrees with the beliefs of the Catholic Church. And I actually had to call the host and ask how that was possible if I were to do my own set. And um, He's like, no, no, we have listened to you on YouTube and you didn't say, you're not saying anything that disagrees <laughs> with the beliefs of the Catholic Church. And then I seriously had to question my, my whole career. Send me those links yeah. so I could see I'm what like, you're I'm like, what am I not about? putting up on YouTube? Did you sign it? No. No, I did and I went. Oh, you did sign it? Yep, I did. And I read all the stuff. If he thought that I didn't, um, that I wasn't going to say anything and I just read all the same stuff and... There wasn't an issue. A few students walked out of that one, but the staff didn't. So when you wrote your first book, how did you get it published? And, and what, how thrilling was it when you got it published? Oh, that was, you know, I had a nervous breakdown. <laughs> I was so, <laughs> um, because I never wrote for the page before. You know, I most of the poems you I had. You were straight up a performer the whole time. Yeah, like uh, most of the poems I, I didn't even have on, you know, say, I don't even know if I had a computer then, but mm. I they were just in my head. And so trying to figure out how to even put them on a page was really difficult for me. Like line breaks and all that? Yeah, I knew nothing about that. I, I knew nothing about that and didn't know enough to to have somebody else help me through it yeah right so who who public who offered to publish your first book? um it was right bloody publishing who did my first four books and um the publisher is a, a guy named Derek brown who's one of my favorite poets and i know Derek brown you do yeah he's yeah. friends with like he's a new orleans guy right or no mm, no, no. he's friends with greg dooley he was just opening up for um Cold War Kids. Right. Yeah. Yeah, um, I've met him before. Yeah, yeah, he's I great I feel like guy. I've met him out in L.A. or something mm -hmm. like that. Yeah, he's out there. Yeah, he's a good dude. He's a great guy. Shout out Derek Bryant. If I ever get married, I want him to officiate. Oh, okay. He's such a romantic. Yeah. Yeah. So he published you at yep. first. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, it is. How did he discover you? <sighs> um, I don't know. Uh, we had mutual friends and I was, he was, um, trying to publish, uh, folks who were spoken word artists because right. he knew that they were struggling to get, uh, published by other sort of publishers. And, um, and he felt that spoken word artists were writing some of the best poetry, but, uh, because they weren't used to being on the page, weren't getting published. And oh, so he reached, he reached out to me. And did he help you get the line breaks and all that or? formatted yeah like he offered he had a big hand in editing that whole first book and uh i think uh, i cried a lot um mostly because he kept trying to take out my rhymes 
And uh, I'm one of the only spoken word artists I know that still rhymes almost every line, but I know I'm not supposed to do it. So I try to hide it from the reader and the listener. And I do it just, it's, it's this neurotic thing in my own head that I need to rhyme everything. I like rhymes. Yeah, me What's too. What's wrong with rhymes? Well, I like I like the idea of it's it's almost um, you know it's this rhythm that is uh, I, I like the idea that in even if you didn't speak English you would you would feel the repetition of something and it might resonate in some rhythmic way to you. Yeah. So you legit cried when he was taking away rhymes? Did oh my gosh! Yes, you actually, I actually actual tears. They were my babies. The rhymes. <laughs> what did he? How did he respond when he you? He didn't were crying? see any. Oh no, oh, no, I didn't, didn't cry to him. I cried sitting. I remember one day just sitting in my driveway crying. No, I didn't. I'm not going to. I'm not going to go crying to a boy. Never. Never. <laughs> I only cry to girls. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably uh, good advice. Yeah. How old were you when that first book came out? Mm, 26 or something, maybe. <clears throat> and how old are you now? Now I'm 44. Wow. Yeah. So wait, so when did you come out? It was come out as queer yeah in the timeline i'm just was was it during in the middle of the or were you already a 20 something out so you know i think that i was uh, you know i looked like this when i was nine yeah, you still look 26 <laughs> yeah i yeah. look like this like, when i was nine i uh I, I had this haircut you know i always you knew clearly that it, knew yeah yeah um but i didn't you know i was just it was such a conservative uh place where i grew up and it wasn't yeah, I was. I came out at 20 years old, though. Oh, yeah, okay. a yeah. long time ago. A long time ago. That's why it was a little harder with the folks and yeah. the times. Yeah, they. We were all the time. It was a way. Everything in the world was different then. It's not to say it's easy for folks to come out now. And some, it, you know, you want things to change uh, for the better, and a lot has. I think it's important to acknowledge that a lot has changed for the better, and also it's kids are still getting killed for coming out so uh, losing their families it's hard yeah it is tough yeah and your pronoun is they right they, yeah they them yeah and how long has that been the case or how long did you establish how long ago did you establish that oh gosh i don't know now maybe uh wow i have no idea um i think my inner circle my close friends uh, started using they, them, theirs pronouns for me in uh, maybe 2000, Long time 10, ago. 12, yeah, yeah, like some 2011 maybe, and then yeah. a couple years after that. And what was that like when you established that within yourself? Like, was it very liberating or what, what was the feeling like of that? Discovery? It was really liberating. It, it felt wonderful to me to finally have people uh, using something that I resonated with. That said, I've never... Um, you know, I have a lot of folks in my community who um, have very like to not use the right to mispronounce somebody is a really painful, excruciating experience for many, many people. Um, I don't have that same feeling. Um, somebody can use she or he for me and it, I, it just it will startle me. But I it doesn't, it doesn't um, offend you like crazy. Yeah, no, it, it, it doesn't. Um, but uh but i don't think that's the case for m most people i think pronouns are very important to many people right yeah the awareness for them is just i feel just in the last couple years has really come up to the front in society or in the media uh in 2010 i i don't think anyone would have been open to to that even no you know uh, I had some writing heroes who were using Z and Zir back then, um, and I, I just thought, gosh, that's good. That's got to be so hard to get people to learn how to do that. And I, I felt for them because it was, you know, so many folks were just <laughs> failing at it all the time, um, and folks who didn't, you know, wanted not to fail at it. You know, some, but it's been some of the sweetest experiences on tour. Uh, with uh, particularly like communicating with restaurant staff and uh, we try to make uh, the restrooms at our shows uh, gender neutral and then and then just the learning experience for everybody has been mostly just so tender um, and kind it's rare that we have uh, issues at, at venues with people being jerks about it um, but I know that's exceptional I, I don't think that that's everybody's experience right but probably in this domain people are like really like concerned with treating you with respect 
Uh, yeah, maybe. Um, and it's also, I've heard, you know, it's really sweet. Like sometimes they have a, a staff meeting before, um, you know, or a security meeting for the merch lines and stuff because the merch line afterwards mostly is just a kind of a meet and greet where people can be quite emotional, all of us just feeling and talking about hard things and, um, and listening to the staff have their, their meetings about how they're going to handle the show. I've walked in a few times and just the kindest, conversations um about the pro like people asking about the pronouns and um the importance of staff not pronouncing anybody in the room because you know you're not going to be able to identify somebody's pronoun ever by looking at them and and just walking in on those conversations that are new for people and hearing them maneuvering around it it's been really sweet do you go to the merch booth at the end of the show and meet the fans and yeah. all that do they ever do you ever get into a situation where somebody will mispronoun you and do you correct them or do you let it slide or how do you deal with that? You know, I don't typically correct people on my pronouns that unless we're going to um, be talking for a while, you right, know, yeah. um, if it's just, you know, in a moment. Um, but if it were a, a more um, a painful topic for me, I think that I, I, I would. And I, I do sometimes, you know, if I'm really connected to somebody I'm talking to and they keep saying she, um, and I sense that we're going to hang out more. I'll, I'll be like, hey, oh, my hey. pronouns are, yeah. 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 Have you had any interesting reactions to that or mostly just like people are kind of hip and aware? <laughs> you know, you know, most of the, the interesting uh, reactions have actually come from like parents and, um, right. you know, parents of <laughs> my partner, or, you know, like Boomers. friends. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> How they do it is really <laughs> Hey boomer. It's sort of hilarious, you know, of the question. So like so what? so okay, so Andrea, so you identify as many people at once. Is that you know, like questions oh, like come that? Come on. Yeah, no, but they no, they're serious. For real. That's somebody they who's do. that's somebody who's like sneaking in a heckle. You no, 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 as many people no, it as really one. isn't. It's <laughs> like, it's good hearted. I'm uh, telling you because I know exactly who I'm thinking about right now. Right. She's the it's kindest person. Okay. Yeah. She's just the kindest mom in the well, world. So what did, what did you What was your response to I'm that? Like, no, 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 no. <laughs> and that's not what it means. Yeah. But right. it's really easy if you think about it. So if I said to you and my partner uses this all the time to try to explain. So if I said, oh, you know, uh, my cousin got into a great school. Uh, and what might you say if I said my cousin got into a great college? You'd say, where are they going? Oh, yeah. You know? where, where are they going? So it's yeah. really easy. You don't. It, it's just like we actually know how to talk like that. We just don't know we know how to talk like that. That's yeah. funny. It yeah. takes a little That's switch. Cool. Yeah, you it have does. to think about it. Yeah. But, you know. How do you seek out inspiration to keep going? How many books have you published so far? Like 10? Something like that? No, no, not no? 10. Seven or so. And so how, where do you go for new inspiration or is, do you have any issues with that or is it just flowing all the time? Uh, yeah, I don't mm -hmm. ever go any place for inspiration. I mean, Other, it's inside too, like it doesn't have to be externally going someplace. I think it's just, yeah, I think it's just paying attention. Um, it's never been something I've had to search for. If anything, I wish less would come because I, I have this overwhelming feeling of not being able, not having enough time to make everything I want to make. I see. Yeah. So there's no kind of practices that you do to like facilitate it. It just comes all the time, no matter what you're doing. Yeah, like I mean, there are some things, you know, lately because I've been doing this for so long, um, I'm trying to do new things. I'm, I'm trying to do more things that scare me. So one of the things about the current show that we're doing is um, uh, I wrote, uh, I've never written songs, uh, song lyrics before. Mm -hmm. And so all the songs in the show I wrote the lyrics for, and that's a new thing for me. And I'm also uh, working on writing a memoir, which I've, I'm, I've always felt terrible at writing prose. And so I'm trying to do more things that I might be terrible at. That's good. Yeah. How about melodies within the spoken word? Like, have you ever thought about incorporating melodies? Like, what do you mean by melodies? Like melody, like singing. I don't sing, but yeah, like, so the musician that I'm collaborating with on this, I shouldn't say I don't sing. I sing all the time. Singing I just, is sustained talking. Yeah, like, I, I, like, I sing all the time. Deal. Yeah, I sing all the time. <laughs> but working with uh, Lara Ruggles, the musician who's uh, working with me at this show, 
um it's funny you know she'd just come to my house and i i i i would just sing them to her and she would sing them back to me more beautiful and then we'd do it together so you're writing songs now i'm trying to yeah Yeah. (laughs) you separate poems from songs in this show yeah so the whole the this whole show is uh i mean for lack of a better word like soundscape she's playing the entire show um and it's 90 minutes long and then keyboards or what Yep, and then also computer, you know, stuff, layers. She's her whole band, you know, kind of your sort of thing. Right. And then, um, and then I, uh, and then I, I talk. That's all I do is talk. <laughs> I talk. And then, right. and then she'll come into a chorus, and which is, you know, neat. I've never done that before. And she'll sing a chorus, and then go in, we'll go into the poem. That's cool. Yeah. Are you starting to read memoirs now that you're writing one? Are you studying the the craft of that or is it just something that you're going for yeah i'm trying to remember the um last memoir i read i've actually been reading a lot of i've been reading a lot of novels lately um yeah but yeah i've i've read a bunch of memoirs in the process yeah what's that one art of memoir have you ever read that no but my partner actually bought it for me to read so i could write better yeah, the I Liars haven't done Club. It That's uh, well, I can't remember her name. The Liars. Somebody Club. recommended that. Yeah, because Joe, Joe started writing a memoir and stopped. Yeah. Why'd you stop? I don't know. It's just it's it's heavy. Yeah. You know, it's a heavy weight to handle. I was going through a lot of trauma and dealing with that through the process of writing, and and then I just kind of abandoned it for a while. I mean, not forever, but just for a while. You know, I I find it to be the most intimidating thing I've ever done, you know, because in a poem, there are places you can, if something's vulnerable to say, you could sort of hide a little in the metaphor of it. Right. And um, and there's no place to hide in a memoir. And you can feel when you're uh, when you're not being brave and then you want to quit when you're not being brave, you know. Right. And, And so it's it's this tricky thing. I keep starting and stopping as well. What about, uh, yeah, and like feeling like you're betraying somebody's secrets or totally. stuff like that kind of shit. Yeah, that's really hard. That's that's actually been the hardest part for me, um, which is also its own thing with spoken word. You know, I'm like, whose uh, stories do I have permission to tell? Even if, you know, I'm uh, the other person in the story, you know, it's 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 hard to figure out what how to take care of people. So for me, I just like keep running things by people. How do you, <laughs> how do you feel about this? But it does limit the honesty sometimes because if somebody says, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want you to say that. Um, so yeah. How often has that happened? Um, it's happened a few times and I've had to remove stuff. Um, and I've also been on the other side of it where my partner has written pieces and I'm like, you know, I'm actually not comfortable with that, that oh, thing. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So there's not like a kind of like, no matter what the art wins, sometimes you like make, make mm-hmm. sacrifices. Uh, I know for a lot of people, no matter what wins is the rule. Um, but it's not for me. Um, you know, for example, I wrote a lot in the last couple of years about, my sister's experience with um, heroin addiction and and throughout that I, I got her permission on everything and um, you know our sort of family experience around that um, but I know uh, I, I know folks that may have not asked for permission so you know it's tricky because also there are other things that are um, you know what is the quote it's you know, um, if people didn't want you to write about them, they should, they should have, have acted better. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So <laughs> I don't like that quote. You don't like it? I don't love it. I don't love it either. I don't know why. I, it's not even that I disagree with it. It's just I don't like it. You know, I don't like the premise of it. I, uh, I, I have a hard time with it as well. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's just too like it's just shitty. Like you should have acted better. Like I hate that. I think it also. Like, it, I think it also like, suggests that the person writing is themselves a saint and right <laughs> you know well that's the problem that yeah that's the problem with uh, a lot of things i find is yeah. that especially like dealing with like narcissistic personality disorder individuals and stuff like that and people that are somewhat toxic in your life and 
being victimized in ways, but then understanding like and, and coming to terms with that for your own self-preservation yeah, and calling it out for your own self-preservation, but then calling it out from this place of you're just a human with fuck ups and foibles, too. Like, so right. it does like when you call things like that out. It does sort of somewhat elevate you into this place of I'm a saint. Yeah, yeah. Which none of us are. Yeah, no, we I aren't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you yeah, are. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, no. So I think that, I, and I, uh, yeah, uh, I like their way of talking about it because I, I don't think of people that way. Um, I think it's boring to yeah. look at the world that way. That there are good people and bad people is the shittiest uh, thing that I uh, idea of of anything. Right. You know? Yeah, we're all on a continuum, I think. Yeah. Most of us. Yeah, and there I think... There are some shit balls out there. There really... Like <laughs> yeah, there are. <laughs> there are. I mean, and I think that that's mostly folks not uh, being interested in their own uh, learning, you know? And um, I think at some point, hopefully, it gets exciting to see your own uh, ugliness, um, you yeah. know? Because it's just seeing what is, and then uh, things become... Uh, more um, able to be transformed. You got to well, look at something. Well, it's the Jungian acceptance of the shadow. Wait, tell me about that. I don't know. Well, you know Carl Jung. Yeah. Yeah, like he he talks often about ex embracing your shadow or mm, coming to terms with your shadow. Yeah. Not being in denial of the dark aspects of yeah your, of your humanity. Right, and I think that um, the importance of that. Yeah. And I think that having a, a larger cultural conversation around that is so is so important, especially during this time where it's a more, um, you know, uh, uh, for lack of a better word, call out culture, mm -hmm. um, which is necessary in lots of ways, uh, you know, right. naming uh, naming the harm being done um, and then also creating space within that to uh, um, uh, for me, it's important to believe in people's capacity to, to change. change. Yeah. 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 Joaquin's Phoenix's uh, speech yeah. at the Oscars was yeah. kind of spoke to that. Yeah. I love like uh, somebody getting up there and saying, I I've been a scoundrel. And shouldn't we all do that <laughs> in our lives at some point? You know, like right. I, I don't know anybody who, who couldn't honestly say that about themselves at some point. Right. Yeah. That's true. That's interesting. That's, uh, what, what was the first time you felt validated? Uh, with doing like the spoken word and the poetry, I know you won a bunch of uh, grand slam. What, what are the, the titles? Yeah, slams. Slam poetry slams. Mm. Was that your first validation, or a lot before that? You you felt like this is what I'm supposed to do. You know, I think the most validating thing for me was being able to do it because it terrified me so much. So even now. Even if the show, <laughs> if it sucks, if if I could tell people are reluctant to clap the whole time, um, the fact of being up there so terrified was it <laughs> was its own was sort of validation. Yeah, it felt that way. I still I still feel that that it's a, a success to do uh, this thing that scares me. Um, validating. Uh, you know, I can't I can't think of it really. Um, do you have shows like that that are some like that no. are audiences stiff and not applauding, and or do you usually get a lot of acceptance? Mostly acceptance. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but some some shows are harder, and I that's usually on. It's usually on me. There's something going on where uh, I can't. I just can't get into myself. It's it's almost like a spoken word is awful if it's not honest and authentic. And um, if there is a night that I can't reach that in myself, then um, then it that feels you know that's that, that's harder. Yeah. Yeah. I Michael Stipe said one time that he doesn't have to always feel it every night that to the extreme. Mm. I think of that a lot when I'm performing. Like sometimes. It, sometimes it is hard to reach it emotionally and then I wonder if if it still can translate emotionally to the observer what do I, you think I think that people know I think that yeah. people people can feel it um, and maybe more so a spoken word than than songs because songs just feel like y y you know but there's something about just a conversation if you're talking to somebody you can feel if they're not being honest <laughs> or there with you. You know, you can feel that lack of presence. There's something about music that that lives in a different a, a different part of us. It's almost ancient, and so even if if there's something, it's it's just coming from it's coming from so many worlds below that it, it 
I don't know. I think it has more of a chance of resonating if if the musician isn't feeling it as much. Right. Yeah. That, maybe that's true. Maybe. Have you ever had any issues with addiction or drugs or anything like that? Oh, wow. That's fascinating that you ask that. I've actually never spoken about this publicly, but yeah, I had a tour. Well, um, I brought it up because of your sister. Yeah. You mentioned her issues yeah. with that. Yeah. So uh, a few years ago, I had a tour where I had... um. I was on stage for five uh, five months and I have four days off in five months um, because I, I released an album and then my book they put out at the same time. So I had to fill almost every single day. And on that tour, uh, my anxiety went to such an extreme level that um, I got addicted to... Uh, Benzos. benzos yeah and it was awful it, w- it was so terrible <laughs> and the process of coming off of it was just horrific i i, I couldn't yeah. believe it um and it was yeah it was a mess yeah yeah did you seek out like 12 step or anything like that no just i just i just i knew it was a situation a situational thing for me it's right. not something it was just like i was literally trying to get through that you know that time and um and it just got out of hand yeah yeah that's cool i'm glad <laughs> yeah. you got out of it <laughs> yeah me too me yeah, too but so now do you ever use any kind of psychedelics or anything like that any kind of things like that help you right weed no, I can only sleep. Uh, <laughs> I can only sleep when I smoke weed. I, I, if ever I, w- I try to smoke weed in the daytime, somebody's going to take me to the ER. <laughs> it's awful. Um, no. Uh, and as far as psychedelics, you know, I don't. I, I mean, in my younger years, I would take LSD and, and mushrooms, um, and I had a, a great, expansive time with it. Um, and this, you know, where I'm at at this point in my life, and you know, I have friends trying to talk me into ayahuasca but i'm also um i'm scared about where that will go i'm interested in um, what they're doing with mdma trials around trauma and uh they're doing lots of uh, trials in i think they have permission to do it where i live in colorado and folks are having a ton of positive experiences with that and also ketamine trials i'm interested in both of those things yeah um i'm interested in that for my ultimate you know the betterment of my mental health but um yeah the other stuff right now i feel like i need to get my nervous system back to a little bit more solid of a place before i i dive into um anything that's more psychedelic what do you mean solid of a place? You know, I'm afraid that I would, I'm so freshly out of the uh, panic, like freak out panic attack times that right. I'm afraid of having a massive panic attack on LSD or oh, something. Oh, I see. Yeah. Yeah. Well, would you, what, what advice would you give to like young creative people that are seeking to make a career in, in spoken word or in some kind of artistic pursuit? Uh, I would I would say take in as much of the art that you love as as you can and also um, take in a lot of art that you don't like and get good at uh, being able to communicate to yourself why you don't like it um, that it's I that's been something that I've <laughs> like it's helped me to uh, take in art that I, I don't necessarily like poems songs and just um, try to feel into why I don't like it. And it, it to learn how to avoid those things. Or, or not even that, um, you know, because sometimes it's great art that I'm not liking oh. and uh, and getting to know that part of myself. Um, but yeah, take in art and then write, you know, create, create, create and be willing to uh, fail. I think one of the things that's happening for folks mm. <clears throat> It's definitely happening in the spoken word community is folks are scared to put their se- uh, themselves out there because they're afraid of um, feedback backlash. because there's, there's so much feedback these days. And there's you know? so much backlash, yeah. too, if you say anything out of line. Yep. And so some of that's good that same. that feedback is happening. But you have to go into it knowing uh, that that's how the world is now and be able to uh, show up to it with tenderness towards yourself and also the folks giving the feedback, even if the feedback isn't coming to you kindly. Have you ever had an experience of writing something that you thought could be offensive and and edited it out or kept it in? Or how did that debate go within yourself? All of that, yeah. I've I've written things that... um, little red flags were going up in me Mm -hmm. and I didn't listen to the red flags and then later would get the feedback or later just be like, no, I shouldn't have done that. Um, 
I've written uh, from a place of anger and and wrote something or put something out that later I was like, you know, that doesn't actually resonate with what I want to be doing in the world. Mm. And then I've also gotten lots of feedback from, you know, the outer world about things I wrote being um, harmful, whether they're classist, racist, ableist, homophobic, all of it. Um, I've done all of those, uh, made all of those mistakes. Interesting. Mostly when I have a red flag moment and go for it anyway, usually people give me the feedback of, I'm, oh, I'm glad I like that part. Like, yeah, I've gotten the both. vulnerability of it. Yeah, yeah. Are you familiar with Brene Brown? Oh, yeah. You like her sure. stuff? Like yeah, her, the I love power her. of vulnerability. Uh, yeah, 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 I love her. Yeah. <clears throat> well, uh, yeah, we're, uh, getting we're, getting, we're getting the we're high getting sign. We're getting the, <laughs> okay. We're getting the wrap it up sign. Yeah. So thank you for doing this. Yeah, thank you so thank much, you. Yeah. Al. Thanks for being willing with uh, all the folks in the yeah. background yeah. talking. Listen, yeah. we had to do it. First yeah. time, <laughs> first time with that much background noise, so we yeah, apologize. We apologize for that, to our listeners yeah. and we want to thank you for your time and hope Th- the tour goes great. Thank you so much. Yeah, exactly. thanks to both of you. Thank Bye. You. Hi, this is Joseph Arthur. Thanks for checking out Come to Where I'm From. Please support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash come to where I'm from. We are an independent podcast and any contributions you can make are greatly appreciated.